Well, glad to be back with you again today. Um, if you were here last week, you know we spoke about the sufficiency of Christ. We saw how Christ was the all-sufficient sacrifice and capable of saving us from our sins. He was God in the flesh um, who, who was without sin. This week, we want to look at the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, you can get lost and bored if all you hear is words in this, but I promise you, if you'll stick with me to the end, it's going to be one of the most eye-opening things probably that you can ever see in your walk. This um, has shown me so many holes in my own walk, and God's Word is meant to build up. It's also meant to correct. It's also meant to teach, as we'll see. And we will find those holes through God's Word. And God's Word conforms us to be less like ourselves and more like Christ. So, our main scripture was 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. But we're not going to be there very often. I just thought it was a very fitting way of describing what we're looking at here today. We're going to answer the question, is scripture all we need to live the Christian life well? Is Scripture all we need to live the Christian life well? Now, I don't want to take to the, to the side facts that everybody's going to say, well, you got to have your church family. You, you most definitely have to have your church family. What about books written about Scripture? There's nothing wrong with those. Matter of fact, I read them all the time. I know you all read them all the time. They are very edifying. Commentaries, very edifying. But that's man's word, right? When they use Scripture and they back themselves up with Scripture, that's fine. But here we have a book written from God. We want to answer the question, is this all we need to live our Christian life well? One of my favorite pastors from old, I think he's been gone since about 2018. Uh, his name is R.C. Sproul. He once said, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a technique, in anything and everything except for where God has placed it, his word. This was a very big deal during the Reformation. The Reformers talked about sola scriptura. It's a Latin phrase meaning scripture alone. People don't require the Pope or the church, or church tradition to tell them what Scripture means. Only Scripture can interpret itself rightly, and only the teaching of Scripture can grab the conscience. In other words, only teaching of Scripture can bring about faith and obedience among, among God's people. This was a very clear teaching of Christ and the apostles, and, and we see through Scripture that God's Word is inerrant. That's our point number one. Before I go any further, forgive me. Let's pray. I need Lord through this. Father God, Lord, we just come to you before your Word. Father, we just come to you, Lord, knowing that your Word is more powerful than anything. Lord, it has the ability to transform. It has the ability to save, it has the ability to condemn. Father, we just come to you right now asking for your help through the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see these things that you would have us to see. Father, I just thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I, I thank you for allowing me to stand before your people and proclaim your word. I feel the weight. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Point number one, God's Word is inerrant. This basically means that God's Word is incapable of being wrong. It's a big statement because we know our ways and we know we are plenty capable of being wrong. Even sometimes when we know we are dead right, we are dead wrong. But God's Word is incapable of being wrong. It has no error whatsoever. 
This is declared in the scriptures themselves being inspired by God. Our main scripture, we just went over. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, that simply means it's inspired by God, but the way that he describes this goes as far as to say is, it's as if it came out of the mouth of God. If something comes out of the mouth of God, we want to listen, right? We want to pay attention to that. That's what this whole book is. They're an expression of God's mind. They're an expression of God's will. They are an expression of um, God's heart. This is the message he wanted to give to mankind. He didn't write this book for himself. He wrote it for us to understand more about who he is. As we look in the, the book of Acts, chapter 1, it says, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. And again, in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? You see, you see the Holy Spirit which is God the Spirit, being the ultimate author of Scripture, but man being the agent, man being the writer. That's important to realize. This is uh, what is called dual authorship. Now, the supposed problem here, this is what the big problem is with the Bible, right? People that don't understand this, this truth about the Bible, we want to come to it and say, well, either God had complete control and they operated as robots or their minds moved freely. And we know what happens when our minds move freely. And they, they wrote something completely different than what God said, and it's not right. It can't be right if man freely wrote it. And it can't be written by man if God created robots. And we know God didn't create any robots. So, this is the supernatural reality because automatically we go to it and say, well, control and freedom can't be compatible. There's no way that can happen, but this is the supernatural reality that we're looking at here. Control and freedom, the supernatural reality, are very compatible. God ordered man's mind through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and at the same time allowed him to freely write and it was all still completely everything that God wanted to say to us without error. You can see this. You can see in Paul's writing style, you can clearly see how everything he writes kind of has that same type of character to it, right? The same thing when John writes, the same thing when Timothy writes the Old Testament writers, you see, that's how they knew. They could compare the writing styles and say, it looks just like this person. The reason why Hebrews, books like Hebrews and I'm trying to think of some other ones, can't think right offhand, but the book of Hebrews has always been a big mystery because they said, oh, well, Paul wrote it. But there are so many things that doesn't look like Paul's writing that might look like another person's writing. So they just declared it, we don't know. But the ones that are, you clearly can see it. So, now we have a ground to stand on. Scripture was written by a human hand, but it was under the divine influence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it's completely what God intended to say to us. Nothing is lost, and they are completely inerrant. Which leads us to our next point. God's word is powerful. You see, in Genesis, God spoke what happened? Creation. You see the power of his word there, right? It's not any less powerful in here when we read it. 
God's word is so powerful, it pierces and it saves. And one, one verse that I want to look, look at is uh, Hebrews. I think I might have skipped over a few of my verses. I apologize. Nathan? Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's deep. That's deep. Not only is the statement deep, but this cuts deep, right? When we hear the Word of God rightly divided, when we hear it proclaimed just as it's written, this doesn't hit surface level. And you'll know that in your own life if you're a Christian. You'll know that in your own life because when your eyes were open, it wasn't some surface, I feel bad and I want to repent of my sins. It was like the deepest cut you have ever felt in your entire life. You had never felt so broken over who you were. His word doesn't just hit the surface, it's able to pierce to the deepest part. You see, it didn't even hit, it didn't even stop at the bone. It went to the marrow. But what the writer was getting at is this is not only a tool of judgment, but this is a tool of salvation as well. The same words that can condemn are the same words that can save. But it gets to the heart of the problem. Our problem with sin is outwardly shown, like we said last week, but it's a deep problem within us. You'll see it in your own life. Paul even said, I do the things that I don't want to do. I hate this person that I am. I hate this body that I'm wrapped in. Knowing that I'm changed, but sin still wants to come out of it, almost like you vomit it out. You can't help it. And so, what do we do with that? Right here. You pour this into yourself every day because without this, you're in trouble. You're in trouble, Christian. You're in trouble. These are the holes I'm telling you that I found out in my own life. It says that it's able to discern the thoughts and intentions. Sometimes I can't tell my own thoughts, but this, the Word of God, is able to show everything wrong with you. Everything. The things that hurt the most, it shows you. Acts 2, 37 through 41. This is an example of this. You remember Peter on the Pentecost, he stood up and he preached, and he preached boldly. I mean, he could have got his head knocked off right here. He's preaching to these people who had just been screaming, crucify Jesus. And it says, now when they heard this, when they heard Peter's preaching, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to Himself, and with that, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. 3,000 people were cut to the heart. Does God's word look powerful to you? All he did was preach the truth. All he did was preach what the Holy Spirit gave him. And we're looking at this on the other side, right? This book wasn't written as they went along. This wasn't taught to text, right? But we still see God's Holy Spirit working through these people. For a man to preach, just like we read, this double-edged sword, it cuts on both sides. To preach, he said they were cut to the heart, and they, I, I got to know what I need to do because I see, I see my sin now. I see my sin now. What do I need to do? And he told them, repent and be baptized. 
Next. It makes alive. This is another reason it's powerful. It makes alive and it renews. Luke 24, 32, it says, They said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while He talked to us on the, on the road, while He opened us to us the Scriptures? You remember Jesus after He had resurrected, He was walking with His disciples and he, they didn't even know who He was. They didn't even recognize Him. But He was telling them these things and it says, our hearts was burning within us. Like we knew what he was saying was, was hitting to the heart while he, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures. You see where the power is coming from, right? The Scriptures. Not only was Jesus talking to them, that's powerful enough, but he was opening them God's Word. He was showing them through God's Word. And then he opened their eyes and he, they seen him for who he was, right? Oh my gosh, how did we miss you? Well, that's because we thought you were dead and you've resurrected. But the power is in God's Word. Psalm 19.7 It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The law of the Lord is another way of saying God's Word. You'll see uh, statutes. You'll see law. You'll see precepts. All these things are referring to God's spoken Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul and making wise the simple. Man, there's so many ways you can see that happening too. God's Word transforms us. How many people? He just picked normal fishermen, right? And these were the people that started the church, this is what God calls the foundation of everything we believe was built on the apostles and the prophets. Fishermen. Ordinary people. Not only fishermen, publicans. The worst hated people that there was. They were worse, worse than a Gentile, is what the Bible says. And this is what God built the foundation on. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. I'm not going to read it to you because I've, I've been studying it here lately and it's so long, but it's so good. I challenge you to study this psalm for yourself because over and over and over it talks about God's Word and how He can't live without God's Word and how He loves God's Word. Um, this is one of those chapters that will literally take your breath away. Have you, ever, have you ever been studying your Bible and it felt like you ran a marathon and you've just been sitting there? It feels like God has literally took the air out of your lungs because it's so much that He's revealed to you. This is, this is one of those chapters that you could study and literally feel like you're just, man, alive. This is so much, but it is so good. The psalmist desires in this psalm to be renewed, to be revived. And he knows that God's Word is the only thing that will make that possible. The only thing that will make that possible. The promises of God, God's Word, he says they bring comfort and affliction. We need that. You need comfort and affliction. And, and he says, go to God's Word. That's where you'll find it. Don't look to the world. A Hallmark card will make you feel warm and fuzzy, but it will not carry you through the storm. You have got to have something to stand on, something that is true, something that is inerrant to stand on, or you will not make it. You will not be standing on the other side of that storm. It will knock you down. The writer speaks of never forgetting them because through them life is given. That's why I was harping on Awanas. That's why it's so important. It's not just about memorizing Scripture. It is, but it's not at the same time. The importance is there to memorize the Scripture. But Psalm 119.11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's talking to God. I've stored up your word in my heart. How do we do that? Do you lay your head on your Bible and soak it up that way? It doesn't work, does it? And I'm telling you, I dislike 
to read before my eyes were open just as much as the next person. I read three books my entire years of school, from kindergarten to high school. Miss Renee is probably looking at me like, that's pretty bad. But she's probably saying worse. Honestly, I had no love for reading whatsoever. I would read, and I would get to the other side of the paragraph, and I'd go, I don't have a clue what I just read about. Because my mind was wandering to other places. No matter what I picked up. And until, until God opened my eyes and I came to His Word, I knew then because I had no desire to learn about what I was reading in school. It didn't, it didn't pique my interest. Now that I love to do small-scale small farming, I can literally sit there. My wife can tell you I've got book after book and I can just read and read and read. But I came to God's Word because I knew nothing about God, only that He had opened my eyes. And I knew that if He was going to show me through this book, that I've got to read it. And I don't have to read it just to read words and get to the other side of it. I've got to pray that the Holy Spirit is going to show me more about God because I desire I love God, and I want to know more about you, right? That's why we come to this. It's not, it's not to check a box, to say, well, we read the Bible in a whole year, or we can say we read this uh, devotional. It's about growing closer to God personally on a level the world will never be able to understand. It's about growing in your Christian walk. It's about becoming more like Christ. How are you going to figure that out if you don't go here? I've done lost my train of thought. Storing up God's Word. It does not mean just memorizing Scripture, but it's about building your life around His commandments. It's about taking His instruction and gladly following it because you love Him that much. Deuteronomy 6. Says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all of His statutes and His commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that, the days, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That will smack you dead on the ground. What is the last thing and the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning? That's just one question I ask myself. And you know what I do? Look at this stupid thing right here. And me and my wife had this conversation. And she said, I've even tried to flood my Facebook with things of the Bible. Follow sites that have scripture or whatever. And I said, well, that's good. I did the same thing. But the one thing that convicted me is would I glue a bunch of filthy memes in God's Word and try to read through it? What would, what would my eye catch? All the crap. Man, that hurt. And when I leave my house and teaching my children diligently and teaching, you have grandchildren, I don't yet, 
Praise the Lord. <laughs> Diligently. And how can you do that when we don't even do it ourselves? That's what God showed me. How am I going to teach my kids to teach their kids if I'm not even teaching my kids? I'm not, I'm not being the example. I try. You get convicted sometimes. You read some stories to them. My wife has been great about it. God bless her. But man, this smacked me so hard. John Calvin is one that, that talks about the, the necessity of storing the Word of God in our hearts, and he uses this analogy. You, we can relate to this because I'm sure you know some people like this. Among scholars, those whose knowledge is confined to books, if they have not the book always before them, readily discover their ignorance. In like manner, if we do not imbibe, it's a big fancy word from the old times, it means to absorb, I looked that up, if we do not absorb the doctrine of God and are well acquainted with it, Satan will easily surprise and entangle us in his meshes. Our true safeguard then lies not in slender knowledge of this law, of his law, or careless perusal of it, but in hiding it deeply in our hearts. It's not enough to say it's not enough to have a copy of scripture on the shelf that can be accessed at any time. We must take our Bibles down and read them, study them, meditate on them, all while asking the Holy Spirit to teach us his ways. This doesn't mean we must all have the same pattern, but it does mean we must take the time to learn from God's Word. When we have the Word of God hidden in our hearts, we are equipped to resist temptation because we are better able to discern what is truly good from that which is not good. We also gain wisdom needed for navigating this life. Without it, we're on a long, hard road. One of the last series that Brother Nick preached on, if you'll remember, was the armor of God. The whole armor of God. Every piece of that armor was defensive, except for which one? The sword. And the sword is what? Now, you think of this, he said he compared it to a soldier, right? Let's, let's just go there, Ephesians 6. I want to show you that this sword, without the Word of God, all of your other stuff that's defensive, by the way, sounds silly to stand there and just take a beating. It can't even be built up without this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Repeat that. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places, so what? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. How do you fasten on a belt of truth if you don't even know what it is? This is what builds up that belt. What makes a belt strong, a belt of truth strong? you got to know it. You have to know it. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, how do you know what righteousness is? How are you built? How, how are you brought up in righteousness? We never come here. You don't do that on Sundays. You don't do that on Wednesdays. That is no doubt some of the most important times. But you got to be in this thing. you got to be fed daily. Because if you're not being fed the things of God, you're being fed the things of something. And it ain't good. And he says in verse 
14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and has and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. A deeper understanding of the gospel. That's what sanctification actually is. We see more and more and more. Our eyes are open to more truths about this gospel. Here, this is where we find it. In verse 16, In all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How is our faith? Strengthen trials. Our faith is strengthened when we can understand. And the only way to make it through a trial, this is the best place to go. It all comes back to here. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Without the Spirit, you can't even understand these things. It's through His help that our eyes are even open. But when you think of this as being a soldier, think of how soldiers train. Do they sign up and then go sit at the house? They train daily. Those who have been in the military, you knew, you know, you can attest it's not a one and done, right? They want you skilled in everything they are teaching you. So what on earth makes sense to put on a bunch of armor and set your only item that you can fight back with on a shelf and never pick it up? Only let, you let somebody tell you why it shouldn't be sitting over there. We know good and well it doesn't make any sense. Are you training daily? That's the question that I ask myself. And I wouldn't. Another argument against God's Word is it's too old to be relevant in today's time. God spoke to those people way back then, and that's the Bible we have today. But how can a book that's thousands of years old still have any power left in it today. You even have some Christians that feel this way. So they search for more relevant teachings. They look to philosophy. They want the feelings to be touched. They want to feel they want to feel better about who they are when they walk out the door rather than feeling like they're missing something somewhere. But you already know, but I'm going to remind you anyway, God has not changed. Man has not changed. That means he's still the same God we read of in Scripture. And we're still the same man that's born into sin and incapable of saving ourselves. Our thoughts apart from God are only evil continually. So this book you hold in your hand right now or your devices that show the words, whatever it might be, they're still as relevant today as they were back then. They're just as alive today as they were back then. We hear people all the time, and I used to be one of them, saying, I'm just waiting to hear from God. I just want to hear God speak. And this thing is laying on a shelf. If you want to hear Him, open the book. Open it up. He speaks there. 1 Corinthians, I don't think I gave this one, so I'll give you some time to flip. I don't think I gave this one to uh, Nathan. 1 Corinthians 2. Just a few books back. 1 Corinthians 2. <clears throat> Start in verse 6. It says, Yet among the mature... We do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, we are doomed to pass away. Who are doomed to pass away? But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our, of, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, 
For if they had, they would not, have, would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor, no, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, those without the Spirit of God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are, they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand, understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The only way we can come to this book and understand it is by the Holy Spirit. When it's talking about the deep things of God, the, the Spirit searches the depths of God, it's not that the Spirit doesn't know, the Spirit is God. It's just that He reveals those things to us. This is what's called divine illumination. This is not scratching the surface. It's not just Scripture memorization. It's when you feel like your mind is about to explode because God has just showed you something that you've never seen. It's not that anything is any different, but it's the depth that He just took you to that you can't even explain it because it's a thing of the Spirit. All you can do is do like Vance is right now and grin from ear to ear. Where in the world did that, how did, how did that even happen? <clears throat> this describes divine illumination right here, these verses. Our eyes are opened at conversion, right? You got to see who you are and who God is and how far you're separated from Him, right? That's what breaks us. That's what breaks our hearts at conversion. But as you go through your walk, this is where divine illumination comes in. And this is every reason to come to this book because we want to know more about God. And when He reveals it, whew, it's, it's overwhelming. But you can't ask or you can't say, I want to know the deep things of God and never open this book. We all know that. We all have that sense about us. We would never try to build anything we didn't. Well, we might try to build something without a manual. But if we don't know anything about it, what on earth sense would it make to try to put something together that we could possibly hurt ourselves or somebody else with if we never went to the manual? Point number three, they are the present voice of God and we hear God's voice in Scripture today. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, when? Today, if you hear His voice, and what we say His voice is? The Scripture. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Today, if you hear His voice, His voice is still heard today as it was when He first spoke. And by the way, everything wasn't audible. That's another amazing thought to think of, that the Bible was not written by God going, say this. Now say this. First, you can look, it was audible, right? Spoke to Moses. But then you see through the prophets that it was through dreams, it was through visions. And then it says in the New Testament, in the, the former days, he spoke this way, right? But now he speaks through Jesus. 
Jesus was the mouthpiece for God because Jesus was God. That's why everything you see in your Bible that if you have the red writing, that's the, the very words of Jesus. But everything was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, another old fellow that I follow the writings of, which is nothing new anymore because he's been gone for a long time too, is J.I. Packer. <clears throat> and this is a great explanation. The Bible as a whole, viewed from the standpoint of its contents, should not be thought of like not statically, but dynamically. Not merely as what God said long ago, but as what he, he says still. And not merely as what he says to men in general, but as what he says to each individual reader or hearer in particular. In other words, holy scriptures should be thought of as God preaching. God preaching to me every time I read or hear any part of it. God the Father preaching God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit. God preaching to me every time I hear, every time I read any part of it. God the Father preaching God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit. That looks a little bit different now, right? If we knew every time we came to the Scriptures and we came to them in the right manner, not to just read and peel out. We came to Him praying that the Holy Spirit would show us something, knowing that this is God preaching His Word to you. This is God preaching God the Son through God the Holy Spirit. Man, that's, that's big. And I've taken that for granted more times. I look at it as a nuisance sometimes. I, I need to be doing this and not doing this. It's when you realize that you can't live without this. And it's very apparent when you step away from it. It's very apparent in your Christian walk when you step away from the Bible. Your prayer life goes to shambles. You start arguing with everybody a lot more. Things don't seem as sweet as they once were. And I've seen that in my own life too. Point four. <clears throat> God's Word is the primary means of grace and advancing the kingdom of God. Advancing the kingdom of God. First Peter chapter 1 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and, in, uh, and abiding Word of God. You have been born again. The Word of God is able to save. Matter of fact, the Word of God is all that can save. You have to hear the Word of God. How are they going to believe unless they are what? Preached to. And what are they going to preach? The Word of God. The Spirit regenerates, saves us through the Word. The Spirit sanctifies us through the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to, the, to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You remember we talked about sanctify, sanctification last week. When we are saved, we are made holy positionally. We also said we don't act too holy, right? This is your life of sanctification. You are, being, you are made holy, but you are being made holy. And I think I've given the description several times. When you are saved, you don't, it's not like, the Catholics believe, where you can be unsaved and you're saved, and you're unsaved and you're saved, and you, if you dip down here and die before you can get back above this line again, then 
maybe enough prayers and enough money given might get you back. That's not true. Once you're saved, truly saved, you're there. But your sanctification, your Christian life, when you zoom in day to day, buddy, it looks like a stair step up and a stair step down. It looks like a weird EKG, right? I'm up, bam, I'm down. I'm up, I'm down. I'm up, I'm down. But when you zoom out a flyover, it should look like this. And I'm growing more and more in my holiness. And I'm becoming more and more like Christ. And I can only do that by being fed on Sundays. I can only do that by reading this on my own. I've got to be able to understand that. God's Word is able to sustain us until we enter glory. That's big, right? Just try to sustain yourself and see how that helps. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Buddy, you better have some endurance. And the only way you're going to get it is right here. It's no wonder that the Bible calls this a race. And it's a long race. And it's a hard race. And you've got to have endurance. And you're not going to find it on your own. It's only from here. So if we know God's Word is inerrant, and we know that it has the power not only to create, because we see creation, but it can cut right to our heart and it can condemn us and it can save us. It can sanctify us and it sustains us until we stand face to face with Jesus one day. If we understand they are the ever-present voice of God, if we know all these things, we understand these things, then everything about our lives change, right? Everything about our lives change. We find we no longer are slaves to the world around us. We desire more than what the world could ever offer. Things that last, things that are eternal. You remember several weeks ago, Kevin was teaching on this on Wednesday. We long to be away from here. We love to be with our family, but longing when we, when we look at this life around us, tell me what's good in it that lasts. We long for things that are, that are eternal. I'm so happy that we made it to chapter 21 in Revelation because I'm like, finally, the good, good stuff. It's all gone. And we, we have good times here. We get glimpses of heaven like Kevin has taught us. Look at a baby's face. When you, when you first get married, stand over the, the Grand Canyon and stand in front of Niagara Falls. It takes your breath. It feels good, right? Those are gifts from God. But we all know deep down inside that trouble is just lurking around the corner at any time. You never know when it's going to come. And that's the reminder that death, that pain, that sickness still remain here and we long for a time when that doesn't happen. We have this hope, Hebrews 6. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure anchor, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul and hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We have this hope. We have this hope that we can't even explain. But those deep things 
that we can barely even comprehend, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. This is all going to be over one day. We have this hope. If Jesus has saved us from our sins, we have this hope. That God said He will bring it to pass and God cannot lie and it will come to pass. We believe all these things. Does our life reflect it? I can't tell you what's going on in the background, but I can tell you that I've heard a lot of Nick's videos in the past several several days, and I've listened to several over the last month, but you remember with me. Nick used to say, you can tell me, and I can't be as loud as he used to be, you can tell me all day long what you believe, but I know what you believe, by the way you live your life. Do you live your life in such a way that your love for God and His Word just overflows from you? Does the world see something different in you? Do you look like a weirdo to them? In a good way. Can your brothers and sisters in Christ bear witness to it? You have a love for God and a love for His Word. Can the people you live with bear witness to it? And finally, can you be honest with yourself? Do I love God and His Word above all? Dale, y'all can come on back up while I'm still chattering here. I thank God for those reminders. I thank God for all those videos. I thank God that we are in this race together. And I hope you have found these things, these truths, just as convicting as I have. I realized the first and last thing that I was doing every day was not listening for God's voice. I realized that I wasn't teaching it to my kids. The very thing I was led to preach was my biggest hole. The biggest hole in my own life. I have confessed and I have repented. And I hope God will prick my heart when I veer off that track. And I hope you can do the same thing if you see it's a hole in your life. But what I can tell you is trust the Lord and seek Him and His Word because we know He has the power to save us and He has the power to sustain us. And that's the only way we're going to make it. I love y'all.